Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Calvert, and today I have with me Dr. Millicent Ravello. Dr. Ravello, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? It's Happy New Year is what I'm doing. How are you? Things are good in the new year? I see you're in the office working already. I am, right? January 2nd. Got to get the year started <laughs> by working on a Sunday. Well, that's good. You know, no, uh, no better time than to just jump right in and get it moving. Jump right in, get it moving. The reason we are on Zoom is because holidays and we haven't been able to be in the office together over the past couple of weeks much. No. But yeah, so we are starting off the new year. We're Zooming in and we are going to get it started. And today we're going to talk about the upcoming trends or what is actually trending now in plastic surgery on this January 2nd of 2022. Right. So this is our predicted forecast of what we see happening in plastic surgery in 2022 based on sort of what's, like you said, trending right now and what seems to be popular and moving along in terms of what patients are asking for with their plastic surgery requests. Well, and I'd like to just tee it off for us right away since I wrote the big check for the machine <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> for the Renuvion machine. Yes. Renuvion, formerly known as J-Plasma, is a device. It's a skin tightening laser that has been getting a lot of popularity recently, mainly from social media because it's a cool thing to, to watch on social media totally. and because of the amazing results. Yeah, the results are pretty, they're pretty outstanding. I mean, I have been a fan of laser liposuction for, for years. I mean, literally uh, when smart lipo came out, I tried it out. I didn't love smart lipo. Then I jumped on and, and, and the Alma product I like, and obviously I, I will mention that I am a luminary for Alma lasers, which uh, means that I speak for them and get paid for it. But um, I think that was sort of an after the fact thing, the, the laser lipo really did provide some skin tightening along with the liposuction so that you could see it literally on the table where you're watching the skin kind of get tighter and and shrink up after you've done the suction and while you're doing the suction. So this Renuvion is a little different in that it sort of uh, is a post you do your liposuction and then you're filling up the space where you did the liposuction with uh, a gas, you know, basically with helium and then putting a charge through it, which makes it into, you know, it's a lot like the argon laser, which uh, you and I used a lot on livers (laughs) when we were doing general surgery. So it's very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, But it works and it does, it shrinks the skin. It's going to make, make it tighter and you can see the results on the table. It's impressive. Yes. This is sort of the next step or the next generation of uh, skin tightening liposuction devices Previously, up till now, all we really had was the laser lipo, which worked great. And then this is sort of the next step. And it uses radio frequency technology, which we have been using for many, many years on the face, on the the body, but typically from an external application. So you're applying the radio frequency energy directly to the skin and then watching it tighten. The limitation to that is that you are limited in how much energy you can apply because you obviously don't want to burn the skin. So the Renuvion uses the same kind of technology, but because we're applying it internally under the skin while we're doing our liposuction or after we've done our liposuction, you can sort of turn the heat up a lot more and get much more significant tightening results because you're getting a a higher amount of heat and energy on the skin while still not burning it. 
Yeah, and that that makes all the difference. The uh, the safety profile of this machine is pretty impressive, yeah. and that's what I really like about it because the the way that I see using it is in these uh, sort of larger volume liposuction cases where I'm going to get a good result just from doing the liposuction. But then if I can get the skin to improve and get tighter, I'm all about that. And in fact, it is the first case I'm doing tomorrow. (laughs) So there you go. We're getting ready. So we're teeing off with a little Renuvion. So yes, it's trending. Yes, we're into it. And I've seen, you know, in my patients, the, the patients I've done this for already, Loving it. I, I think it's. I think it's really going to be a, a game changer in terms of uh, what we're able to do uh, with the skin tightening and liposuction. Yeah, for sure. And I think the best patients from a body standpoint are going to be those patients that may potentially need a tummy tuck. Maybe, maybe they have some loose skin, but they don't really need it. They're not quite there yet. But there is some concern that if you do a lot of liposuction on them, they may have some loose skin afterwards that they don't like. So they are a good candidate. It's a good bridge for that person that has a little bit of skin laxity, maybe had some weight loss, maybe had a baby, maybe they're getting older. So their skin is a little bit looser. And so for those patients, it's really, really great. Um, it's also good for, you know, some people are using it for faces and necklace to get a little bit of skin tightening at the time of the procedure as well. Yeah. I'm thinking about that for my neck. <laughs> I know we think? did talk we, about this. Let's give that a shot this year, right? There's <laughs> got to be some time I can get my, you know, my soon to be turkey neck headed off at the pass and get it tightened back up. It's got to happen. You know, for the listeners, I'm sure they're tired of listening to you talk about your neck. You've been talking about it for a couple of years now. So maybe I might talk about it for five more years. In 2022, <laughs> this will be the year that we fix your neck. <laughs> I, would, I think I think this year is the year for some surgery for me. I just got to find the time to do it. Um, That's the hard part. It, it is. It's it's not even that I don't want to do it. I really like, I'd like to get the lower lids done. I'd like to get the neck. That's what's trending for me in 2022. <laughs> Um, but let's move to our next technology. Uh, let's talk about, it's not a technology, but the fact that lip lifts have made such a huge, uh, burst onto the scene. What's the deal? Like why, why now? You know, it's one of those things that has, it's a surgery that's been around for a decent amount of time. It's been happening for a long time, but for whatever reason, the zeitgeist of the moment, people are seeing on social media, certain plastic surgeons are coming out and promoting it a lot. So it's getting a lot of hype. And so patients are now coming in and requesting it. Cause I think a lot of them didn't actually know about this procedure. It's not a very much talked about procedure. Um, but now that patients themselves are getting more awareness of it, they're coming in and asking for it. As you know, I just texted you last night about a patient coming in requesting a lip lift. So it's like, it's a whole thing. Um, so I think it's just more, it's a thing. It's just more patient (laughs) awareness of it. Most likely generated from social media. Well, there's a lot of ways to do lip lifts too. Um, you know, there's sort of the cutting out some skin under the nose and pulling the skin up. There's the muscular work that you can do. Uh, there's uh, what I do, which is I tack the the muscles to the periosteum of the maxilla. There's a lot of different approaches. And I have seen some people coupling these with V to Y advancements of the lip mucosa to kind of get the lip pout, you know, so they'll push from the inside to push it up. I mean, those things are all good, but I think the problem for my patients, my patients don't have, you know, six weeks to, to six months to be oral cripples. Uh, And when you do all that stuff to the mouth, it's pretty rough. I mean, you'll get through it. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, But 
it, it's tough to do a lot to the lips all at one time. Yeah. And so when we're talking about lip lifts, it's, um, it's really accomplishing two things. It is lifting the upper lip to a certain extent to get more show of the redness of the upper lip, but it's also shortening the distance from the base of the nose to the upper lip. That intervening skin is what surgeons refer to as a, as the upper lip. So that skin part, not just the red part of the lip is actually getting shortened. It's because that with age, after rhinoplasty, certain things that will lengthen and it contributes to an aging look of the face. So that's part of what we're doing with the lip lifts. And yes, if you start coupling that along with some internal lip mucosa advancements, you're going to get basically a non-functioning upper lip for several weeks. <laughs> well, and, and you can also do things which I love to do are dermal, uh, dermis fat grafts uh, and fat grafting. But again, if the more you do all at one shot, the, the more you have to heal. And I think you just kind of got to decide which, you know, kind of which approach you want to take with doing lip lifts. There's, there's just all sorts of, um, you know, once again, this is a common thread in plastic surgery marketing where a lip lift is cutting out some skin and sewing it up versus, you know, doing muscular carving and, and deep muscular sutures and taking out skin and doing fat grafting with it. So there's, there's a spectrum of these procedures and you have to decide with your surgeon where on that spectrum you want to wind up. Right. Correct. And this is something that can be done awake. It can be done under anesthesia, sort of up to the patient, whichever they prefer. So from a actual surgical technique standpoint, it's not particularly invasive. You know, you're not going to be under general anesthesia for a long time or anything like that, but it's the recovery that can be a little rough. You might not want to be going into the office for a little <laughs> while after this procedure. <laughs> and it's very possible you'll develop a drinking problem where, where the fluids just don't stay in your mouth like as well. Literally a drinking problem. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, because you lose the oral dam if the if things get too swollen and too lifted. Uh, again, I try I try to do these operations where my patients get them done. They can go back to their lives in a day or two. Um, and I do muscular work and I do deep sutures and I do a lot of stuff, but I've found a way with this technique to make it not a, uh, lay you up for a long time, uh, procedure and my patients love it. I've been doing a bunch of them. I, I did, I think I did three over the break when I wasn't supposed to be operating. <laughs> so that that's kind of where I, I think you're right. This is a trending procedure. Right. Another thing kind of going along with the face stuff, I know we touched on it briefly on some of our other podcasts, is the whole concept of a deep plane facelift. That's definitely having a moment as well. That's sort of a buzzword right now amongst definitely. you know plastic surgeons, amongst lay people, patients. Everyone sort of is hearing this word and that's sort of getting some recognition as a technique. Well, and interestingly, deep plane facelift techniques vary as much as the surgeons who who say that they are doing deep plane facelift techniques. They're, they're all different. They all develop, right. they all create different results. And once again, I go back to the, to the uh, you know, the kind of way to pick your plastic surgeons to look at the before and after photos um, because some people do this deep plane, the concept of the deep plane facelift and that we have a whole podcast about this. We refer you to that. Please listen to it. Um, it's not that long ago that we did that podcast, but the concept is that after you've lifted the skin, once you've gotten down to the area where the face gets very mobile, 
called the mobile SMAS. And the SMAS, once again, is the, uh, it's the subcutaneous musculoaponeurotic layer uh, system, SMAS, uh, which really is the fascial layer, the thick layer over the, the facial muscles. Um, and so that the deep plane facelift is when you get into that deep plane, you can elevate the face very nicely and have a lot of control over the jowl. That's why people love this technique, including myself, is the control factor is just massive. Um, and so when you do that, you're going to get a good lift. You're going to be able to blend it to the platysma and get the, the neck to come up nicely. So deep plane facelift, but some people do it um, where as soon as they cut the skin and they get a little bit of a skin ledge, they quickly go under the smass and dissect over the parotid gland to the, the deep plane, the mobile smass, which I, I find to be more of like an old school. Uh, there was a, a surgeon from Sweden named Tord Skoog, S-K-O-O-G. And the Skoog lift was basically just getting under the fashion, lifting the whole thing as a composite, which is a great lift too. So what people are doing with deep plane facelifts is pretty variable. Right. Again, go back to the befores and afters, check out their work, see what works best for you. But yeah, that's definitely not even, it's trending, but it's not a new technique, similar to the lip lift. It's been around forever. It's so not new. Oh my God. It's so not new. I did deep plane facelifts as a resident. So that's why it's funny when you see people like advertising themselves as like, I have invented this new technique. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, really? <laughs> like, are you really going to write that when you know people like us are reading it? Like you shouldn't write that. It just makes you look like, you know, a cheap marketer, but it works. And those people get people in like, I'm going to go get this new technique, a deep plane facelift. It's a joke. And the people that do that ought to just, you know, be able to, when they see me, they should just turn the other way. They know <laughs> but the, uh, the reality is it's a great technique and it, it has kind of made a resurgence. And, and in my brain, it sort of made a resurgence because I kind of said, well, why are, why am I lifting that whole smash flap up? I don't really need to do that. You know, the actions at the jowl and, you know, I did a lot of deep planes back in the day, but I think I'm somewhere along the line, somebody convinced me it was better to take the whole flap up. And I think it was Jack Owsley from San Francisco that convinced me to use the whole flap. Uh, or it might've been Bruce Cannell. I spent a little bit of time with him, but somewhere I just said, no, the deep plane doesn't make sense. You should take the whole smash flap because you can contour the cheek, et cetera. But, you know, again, th these are hair splitting discussions that we're having. The bottom line is we all seem to agree that smash flaps of some kind, either deep plane or high smash flap or whatever, uh, a smash excision uh, is great too, are better than just placating the smash, which yes. I think works well in some people's hands anyway. Agreed. All of you the know, above. It just depends yeah. on who the person is and what they it, need. Exactly. Depends on the patient, depends on the surgeon doing it. So, and, and this is, this is a, this is a technical specialty. I was having a discussion with somebody, um, can't remember exactly over the last couple of weeks where they were, you know, talking about, you know, the ease or difficulty of surgery. And I said, well, you know, surgery itself, doing the operations uh, is, you know, for skilled surgeons, any operation is typically not difficult, uh, but the the diagnosis, the planning of the procedure, picking the right patient, and then performing it with technical excellence at the level that it needs to be performed at to get great results is extremely complex. 
that's where the rubber meets the road. You don't want to do things where, you know, like, well, I did that procedure. That's great. And it's sloppy and it looks terrible. You know, you're trying to really, you know, hit it out of the park. And that's where the level of experience of your surgeon and the, the results really make the difference. Yeah, for sure. So everything, you know, every like surgery is like fashion. It's cyclical. It comes and it goes. And I wouldn't get too hung up on the technique as long as you have the right surgeon and for the right patient. I mean, that's sort of what it comes down to. I think the other trend we ought to talk about for the skin are these micro, these radio frequency micro needling uh, machines that are getting very popular. I heard about one from, uh, I forget the other company. I don't want to misquote it, but, uh, there was a, I, I like, I like to use the Opus, obviously Alma lasers. Uh, I'm a, I'm a luminary. So the Alma laser, uh, product is called the Opus. It combines plasma laser with radio frequency microneedling to do the, the tightening and the resurfacing. Uh, but there are a bunch of machines coming out now with radio frequency microneedling. And I think that's going to be a, a must have in terms of anti-aging and keeping your skin looking great. No, I, I couldn't agree more. There's, uh, like you said, the Opus that we have here, there's the Morpheus, which uses a similar radio frequency microneedling technique. And then there are the face tight and the body tight uh, devices, which similar to the Renuvion, they're going to use radio frequency from underneath, from the undersurface, um, but they're not combined as much with the, the large volume liposuction or with the helium gas technology. So these are all devices that can be used on the body. They can be used in the face. Um, I think the face type probably has um, more success than the body type device. And that's just sort of an anecdotal um, belief, but in the face, the face tight works really well. So it's going to, again, use RFA technology and the undersurface of the skin, and you can combine it with external RFA as well with the Morpheus to get sort of a two-pronged approach to face tightening and lifting. That all sounds pretty cool. Uh, anything other than um, anything in the filler world that you've heard about? Anything that's, that's coming up? I mean, there, I know there are some new fillers from the usual suspects, but they're just I think there's just sort of uh, modifications and repackaging of, of what we already have. Anything new that's like trending in your mind? No, there's some, I know there's, there's always something and I I don't really put a whole lot of stock into a lot of the different techniques because so so much of it seems to me just like social media marketing. There's some people out there that are combining micro doses of Botox with micro doses of filler and then using it with micro needling and you get like a glow for like two days and then it goes away. So there's all kinds of things that people (laughs) like to put out there and then give them special names and then say we have this technique. Hang on a second. <laughs> what? I don't know. Micro I, I doses of Botox, yes. micro doses of, of filler. filler, and you blend them together, and then you put them in with micro needling, and you have this like glow, and you look tight for like a week because you got micro needling. <laughs> That's dumb. I know. People pay a lot of money for it. Just, I know, but you know, it's, it's like having a facial. It's like having like a very intense facial that you get all puffy and glowy for a week. So great for like, you know, an event or a wedding or something like that, but long-term results, eh, not going to do a whole lot for you. It's dumb. <laughs> I mean, come on, really? You Whatever. know, I don't have 
a problem with these things as long as they're marketed Ugh. correctly. If you're going to like say that you're going to have these long-term yeah. anti-aging results, you're not. You're going to look glowy for a week. Let's just call it what it is. And then, okay. and then you're then you're good. Then you're, you're right. Fine. If you just want to look glowy for a week, let's glowy do it. Glowy for a week. I want to look glowy for a week. I'm going to do it. Good deal. <laughs> I think the other thing that's going to be trending, and I'm going to start doing it now, is scarless rhinoplasty. And I think that's <laughs> the uh, the big trend for me this year. What do you think? Should I pop that one up on the website or what? No, I won't be able to look at you if you do that. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I've I've done I, I, this. I, I know I hate to just keep harping on it, but it's it's kind of fun. Um, the in the last month, I've probably done six endonasal rhinoplasties, and two of the patients were like, "But I don't see the incisions. Where are the incisions?" I said, "They're inside." They're like, "Oh." So I didn't know I was having a scarless rhinoplasty. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, really? <laughs> like they were like, oh, you should have told me I was going to have a scarless rhinoplasty. I didn't know I was having scarless. I was like, because you didn't. You had scars <laughs> inside your nose. Scarless rhinoplasty is a figment of somebody's imagination designed to deceive the the public into thinking they're not going to have scars from the rhinoplasty. They you definitely do have scars and they can, they can cause problems and they can be an issue. So you didn't have a scarless rhinoplasty. You had an endonasal approach to your rhinoplasty. And I do a ton of them that way. I really do. I, I didn't realize how much endonasal rhinoplasty I did until I saw how annoyed my fellows are when they can't see what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> then I know. Then I know how much I'm doing because I'm like, God, he really seems annoyed. I was like, Well, let me see if I can get the camera in here, you know, because that's the one thing when you're trying to teach rhinoplasty, you you can't see into the nose when you're doing an endonasal, and an endonasal rhinoplasty is pretty much a one man job. I mean, right? You know, it, it, and when I'm doing my noses, I'm doing my noses. That's it. You know, they don't they don't get to chisel in, so they got to get their own cases, and then I can help them with that. But the uh, the that is the hard part. The best way to teach rhinoplasty, obviously, is with an external approach, overhead camera, and then I can explain and show everything as I go. But it's uh, it is really tricky to learn endonasal. Yes, but again, been around forever. It's not a new technique. Just it's not scarless. Just gaining some traction with the term scarless. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. I love those guys. Scarless rhinoplasty. Well, I do scarless rhinoplasty. I, I'm, I'm like, you don't, you really don't. And that the reason that I, I don't like it is because the scarring of those internal incisions can really wreak havoc on a result. And so to say that there are no scars really is deceptive because the scars that are in the nose can cause retractions on the external surface, can cause airway problems, can need to be treated. And so I, I don't like that kind of marketing that that really is deceptive. The, the scarring in the nose from an endonasal rhinoplasty is a factor and it needs to be done correctly. And even in the, in the best of hands can still have issues. Oh, for sure. It's like the person that I met at a party a few months ago that told me she was getting a breast dog from a, a surgeon that does scarless breast dogs. <laughs> no. I was like, hmm, interesting. Oh it's, my God. Like, like a magician? Like, That's right, you must be magic. implants in there? That's like amazing. Dr. Strange can do that. Like he can just like envision them going in and like maybe with a portal, put them inside. Like, no, that, it, he has not. this new technique and it's scarless. That's literally impossible, but okay. It's not doable. Sorry. No. There's going to be a scar somewhere. I don't care if it's your 
by the way, we've never had the opportunity for me to just trash the trans umbilical breast augmentation because people don't really do it anymore. Because we don't but do it anymore. No, it, it came and went, but that was like the dumbest operation I could ever imagine. I remember when that, that operation came out and they were tunneling up from the belly button to the breast pocket to put these things in. I was like, this is not going to last long. No. And it didn't. And it didn't. And you can't do it with silicone implants anyways. So, yeah, I mean, so, but, but even so, like, how do you control that pocket? It's so far away. And, you know, I just, I never saw the utility in, in the, in this, you know, obviously we'd rather not see scars when we do breast dogs uh, anywhere, whether it's the armpit, periareal or inframammary fold. But I mean, if you really want to get control and get a great looking result, that's kind of the way we do. You kind of need a scar somewhere. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that kind of hits some of the big highlights. Do you have anything else you want to go over today? Um, we did the, most of the face with the face, the nose, the lips, touched a little bit on the body. The other thing I would say I noticed with the body um, coming up a little bit more is sort of these small volume BBLs or gluteal fat transfers, um, moving away from the super large Kim Kardashian butts that are just very extreme um, to young girls who are otherwise fit and don't have a whole lot of body fat, but what they have, they want to take and put in their butt. So I've been seeing a decent amount of that kind of these small volume gluteal fat transfers are nice because they get a little bit of extra volume, but people don't know that they've necessarily had a procedure because they just look like themselves, just a little bit enhanced, not like enhanced. So that's something I've been saying more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's the way it should go anyway. I mean, making those, you know, ridiculous, you know, house sized butts, <laughs> I just don't think is helpful. It's a look. It's <laughs> definitely, it's a look. And a lot of people still really are into it. So I know give not, people not, what they uh, want. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I've been there. I've done that. Uh, but I think I'm going a different direction with those fat transfers, as you say. But yeah, I think that's it. That's sort of the main things that we've been seeing lately and getting asked for. So I expect we're going to see probably more to come in 2022. Well, it sounds good. I am. Uh, I will be operating away like crazy this week. Hopefully I'll catch up with you at some point. We'll, uh, we'll see what the new year holds in terms of this uh, Renuvion trend. I, I will we'll have to do a checkup on it at the uh, July point in yes. this year and see what what the deal is because i think as bathing suit season rolls around we're going to get a lot more requests for it a lot more cool well this is the beverly hills plastic surgery podcast coming to you from the 90210 thanks for listening to the beverly hills plastic surgery podcast if you want to reach dr Ravello or myself we're available for consultations we can also be reached through the websites dr Ravello, what's your website My website is rovelloplasticsurgery.com and the phone number to reach us here in the office is 310-954-1355. And I do want to mention Rock Spa, which is the sponsor, truly the financial backer of this podcast. And Rock Spa is the Medispa that's located both in Newport Beach and Beverly Hills, providing Botox, fillers, lasers, microneedling, esthetician services like hydrofacials. We have incredible people. They do great stuff. And I highly recommend taking a look at the websites, rockspawnewportbeach.com or rockspawbeverlyhills.com. All the information is also on my website, drcalvert.com.